Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you have brought us together in this beautiful scenery, this beautiful day. We ask that you would help us to believe that we are here right now, whether we've just happened upon this or planned on coming, because you have seen to it and you have something you want us to hear and to trust. Give us grace to hear your voice now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to say welcome, everybody, to the mansplaining version of the resurrection. Um, as you may have heard just a second ago, the ladies came back and said the, empty, the tomb is empty. And what did they hear from the dudes? Idle tales, which is Greek for BS. Honestly, it is. And, uh, and so here we go. The women not being believed again. These women had no categories for what they'd just seen. They just reported their experience. And in fact, in every account of the resurrection, women are the first proclaimers of the resurrection. They were last at the cross first at the tomb, and the first to preach the gospel. And the men were first to run and hide. But I digress. And to be honest, given people's tendency to stay dead once dead, I think I'd say the same thing as these disciples. Are you crazy? Are you crazy? From time to time, I call my older brother, and I ask him um, about uh, if any of my dad's old friends have died. And he always says the same thing. He thinks it's funny. I'm not sure, but he always says... I hope so, because they buried him. People tend to stay dead once dead. But here's the thing. I don't have a better explanation for what happened 2,000 years ago when hordes of people decided that somebody had risen again from the dead, and it would be so easy to just simply disprove it. It would be so easy to fact check it. All these people are around who could have said, no, 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 we were here for all that. None of that happened. It'd be like me telling you that I won the Heisman Trophy in 1983 when I was playing football at the University of Florida, when we all know all I did is set new records for pregame warm-ups. But I was really good in pregame warm-ups. So I don't believe the resurrection because I have video surveillance of it, but because of, the massive, of its massive first century impact. So we may, by faith... God, we believe by faith that God raised Jesus from the dead, vindicated everything that he said or taught, introducing a new creation in the midst of the old. All of that is really good resurrection theology, to which today I say, so what? So what? How does this go from information to liberation? Because I don't think that we get the resurrection until we trace it through to its liberating power. It goes from a concept to something that could transform our lives. And so let's just take instruction from three teachers in these texts. Jesus, Peter, and the angels. Jesus has a word of liberation, and that word is forgive. Forgive. It's not in the text, but have you ever thought, if Jesus has indeed risen from the dead, what will he do now? I mean... What would you do in that setting? What would you do? If you had been ganged up on, scapegoated, unjustly accused, tortured, murdered, um, dehumanized publicly, and then miraculously three days later, you raise again from the dead and you have apparently an invincible body, a lot of power, what would you do now to all those folks who betrayed you and left you for dead and mistreated you? To your cowardly friends who didn't stand by you. Be honest, people. Come on now. You would have gotten out of can, as we like to say, from my, my background in Florida. Who hasn't spent nights nurturing a grievance? Who hasn't spent time thinking, okay, 
I want to replay and rehearse how I'm going to get even, even relishing it. How much of the energy is that taken up in your life? And have you figured out that that's kind of a waste of time? Because this is what Jesus did with the power that he had to take them all out. Jesus practiced what he preached in the Sermon on the Mount. He practiced what he preached. He said he returned evil with good, hatred with love. And his liberating words from the cross were this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In fact, Jesus, after his resurrection, was just going around and forgiving everyone and everything all the time. Making breakfast for those who betrayed him on the side of the lake. He was uh, uh, asking people who doubted to just touch his side, touch my hands. It was all forgiveness, all love, all the time. Instead of revenge and payback. Jesus comes and invites us to be liberated from that mentality of revenge and payback. Anne Lamont says that forgiveness means it finally becomes unimportant that you hit back. You're done. It doesn't necessarily mean that you want to have lunch with the person. It doesn't mean you have to trust them either. Let me just say that. But if you keep hitting back, you stay trapped in the nightmare. And it's no small thing that this path of liberation was forged by a brown-skinned Palestinian Jew living in the first century under the oppression of military occupation, who identified with the weak and the poor because he was weak and poor himself, and identified with the outcast because in some ways he was the ultimate outcast who has something to say to us from that particular perspective and social location to liberate our way of being in this world. Let me ask you, has the secret desire to get even or show them, whoever them is, is that really bringing you life? Or is it, as the passage said, you looking for the living among the dead? So Jesus' resurrection is God's way of saying, yes, this is what it looks like when you live a life rooted in my way of love. Liberation from your smallness of life filled with envy and grievances and grudges and echocentricity to a largeness of life marked by love, mercy, and forgiveness. That's Jesus' word of liberation. Peter has a word of liberation. It's the word include. Include. What we learn about Peter is our need for tribal liberation. It's a lesson it took him a little while to learn. I mean, listen, as far as Peter is concerned, whatever Jesus is up to is 100% for him and his tribe and no one else on God's earth. It's really important to hear this. Earliest Christianity, according to the apostles' interpretation of Scripture, out of the gate excluded 99% of humanity. That whatever God was up to in Jesus, they were convinced it was just for their tribe. This is why I'm grateful for the reading from Acts that we had. Peter is fresh off what could be called a contemplative breakthrough of some type, wherein God taught him that God's love in Jesus extends far beyond his Jewish tribe. And I will tell you that God's love always goes further than we can imagine. Always. This is what leads Peter to say earlier in Acts chapter 10, God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. Mind you, Peter had scriptures he could point to that would tell him there are people who are profane and unclean. But Peter has to go back and he has to repent. He has to rethink. He has to turn around. Even that in the light of Jesus. Which led him to say in our reading today, I truly understand that God shows no partiality and that Jesus is Lord of all. 
we continually shrink the circle of God's love and God will just continue to keep loving everyone and everywhere and invite us all to catch up with God. From Gentile inclusion, as this was about, to slavery, from our understanding of the cosmos, to women's rights, from interracial marriage to divorce, to how we love our LGBTQ siblings, the church has a long list of we were wrongs in our history. And the history of correction should remind us that our church, the chief virtue needed when we read scripture is a loving humility that is willing always to hear the voice of Jesus say, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. Peter, because of, his, of the resurrection, is liberated from tribalism because as Rachel Held Evans says, what makes the gospel offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. Amen. And then lastly, we have a word of liberation from the angels. And that word is remember. Remember. The angels, in fact, I would call this a tool for liberation. Remember how he told you. Now, we use our memories in all sorts of ways, let's face it, aren't very helpful. We use them to beat ourselves up. We use them to, to remind ourselves of our trauma and to be re-traumatized by those memories. Our memories can be used in all sorts of ways that harm ourselves. We use them to relish the times we did well, to puff up our ego. And the traumas that we hold in our bodies, our memories become something we wish, frankly, that we could just shut off altogether. The angels want you to use your memory to remember what Jesus told you would happen. And now remember that death could not hold him. To remember the open secret humming beneath all created things is that death is not the end. Remember that the systems and structures of this world that bring death to your life in big ways and small will not stand, will not be the final word. You are not damaged goods. If this morning you are bowed down by self-doubt or self-hatred, entombed by grief or laid low by loss or trauma, anxiety or depression, to this Jesus' resurrection power says, I have already lifted you up. I have secured your identity and your worth. You are not damaged goods. You are my beloved child. And together we will walk with dignity. That's your deepest identity. This is part of what the resurrection proclaims. If this morning you find yourself entombed by loneliness to this, Jesus' resurrection says, I have already secured your place in a living human family. You are not alone. Reach out your hand and find them right now, today, all around you. This community invites you to be a part of it. We gather each week on Sundays and in other gatherings all over the city. The resurrection community called City Church San Francisco extends its welcome to all without qualification and invites you to join us in spreading resurrection love all over this city. That's what we want to do. We have to do this together. Because as Audre Lorde said, without community, there is no liberation. Now look, friends, believing the resurrection is scary stuff. If it's true, if we really have to think about it, we kind of lose control of our lives in some way. We have to kind of drop everything and say, I have to pay attention to that. It's scary. I know that. But can you imagine a better idea 
than giving your life to a God who brings life out of death. Richard Rohr said in, uh, in one of his books, the first faith question that every person is asking is not, is Jesus God? But rather, can God be trusted? Or is God for us? And the resurrection is saying, yes, God can be trusted. God is turning our crucifixions into life. That's the best news I know I can proclaim from this amazing spot in the middle of Golden Gate Park. So let's proclaim it together. Let's make some noise, shall we, right now? I'm going to say, he is risen. You say, hallelujah. Are you ready? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Hallelujah, indeed. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, help us to see this morning that resurrection is not an edict or summons, but an invitation to know the open secret humming beneath all created things that death is not the end. You can be trusted. You see us, and you have resurrection plans for every created thing. We believe this. We trust this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.